Amen. <laughs> you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. And uh, what a joy it is to hear us singing with one heart to the Lord. And, and um, you know, I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, I'm asking God to do something special in each one of our lives. That God would do something special in your life today. That you are here, you're in the right place, you're, you're, you're listening, you're, you're tuned in, but that God would do something in your life that is special today. And um, I know that, uh, you know, I've been praying for revival um, and praying that God would bring revival. And, you know, revival starts with the house of God. It starts with God's people. And uh, it, it'll spread, but it's got to start here. And uh, I've been praying diligently for that. And, and this morning, I just want to encourage you. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. And uh, if it seems like we've been talking about the temptations of Christ for the last three weeks, four weeks, we have been. And um, I want to uh, kind of wrap some of that up today. But, um, you know, this morning, I'm only going to briefly touch on those temptations out of Luke 4. Uh, because we've already uh, studied them and, and just recalling some of that to mind. But I want to talk about this in order to, um, to bring forth one part, if you will, one, one facet, one um, aspect, one snapshot, if you will, of the, of the totality of who Jesus is. Okay, he's, he's so uh, diverse, he's so uh, amazing, but, but I want to talk about one aspect here, and, and in this series that we're beginning today, it's going to be called the solidarity of Christ, the, the completeness, the wholeness of who Christ is. And, and you know, Jesus Christ is the solid rock, and all other ground is sinking sand. And, and we believe that, and that's, that's why we're here. We want to hear uh, from uh, the, the Word of God. But since Christ truly is the rock upon which we build our faith, He is the rock and, and, and the one who provides that solidarity, that oneness, that uh, wholeness. I want to call it the indivisibility of life, the, the wholeness of who He is and, and who we are. I raise the question, what aspects do we see in Jesus's life to make our life more unified, more solid? Okay, what are the things that we see in his life that will make our lives more solid, more, more unified? And, and some of those things that I'm talking about are things like uh, the authenticity of Christ, who he is, the realness of who he is. Maybe it's Christ's advice, the things that he shared with us in his word. Maybe it's um, the, his availability. Are, are, aren't you just wonderfully glad that, that Jesus Christ is available when we need him? I mean, what a, what a wonderful thing. You, you think about his agony of what he went through on the cross for you and for me. And his awesome beauty, his, his absolute victory over death. I mean, all of these things add to what I want to call the solidarity of Christ. And, and one of the things that I just mentioned was the word authenticity. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. You know, genuineness, when we talk about authenticity, we're talking about genuineness, we're talking about legitimacy, um, truthfulness. Uh, trustworthiness, um, validity, or even, I want to say, realness. 
And my assumption this morning is that a fundamental human need and a widespread longing in our day is the longing and need to be authentic people, to be real, to be authentic. See, your worldview, your lenses that you view the world with, will greatly impact what you believe is critical about authenticity. See, authenticity from a secular point of view or perspective, as real as we try to be, will never truly fulfill our deepest longing. See, being authentic is not an end of itself, but a critical component to discover who was I created to be. See, the question then needs to be asked, Why is authenticity so important to my journey? Why is authenticity so important to your journey? You know that the inside and the outside match up. See, there is a deep and I believe God-given longing for each one of us to be authentic and to not be hypocrites. We don't want to be a hypocrite. We all long for integrity. We, we want to, there to be harmony between our inner person and our outer person. And we don't like it. We want to change. We want to be authentic. But I want you to look this morning at Christ's authenticity. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, what made Jesus Christ authentic? Jesus was authentic in that he identified himself with sinners, with us. He was authentic in that. He, he, he identified himself with us. In, in Hebrews 4, I know I said Luke 4, and we're going to go there in just a moment. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus was fully human and fully God. So that makes him subject to vicious and malicious attacks by Satan. And I want to look at these three different temptations that that Satan threw at Jesus in, in Luke 4. And I think we're going to see that at the heart of each one of these temptations was a very simple question. Do you trust God or not? Do you trust God or not? Read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 13. It says this, God's word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Verse five, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the, the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, 
It shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse nine, and he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would just put your words in our hearts, put your words in our, our minds. Father, help us to see uh, the truth of, of your word and, and where we are. And, and Father, well, where we uh, are not uh, authentic in our walk with you. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, that you would be able just to uh, impress upon us the things that you desire. Lord, we want to hear from you today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in a preview of Jesus' temptations, Luke 4 provides the, the most detailed of all of the accounts of his temptation. And, and two common factors are, are found in these temptations. The first one is that he was tempted in every phase of his personality. And secondly, in each temptation, he quoted God's word. He quoted scripture. And so first, I want to I talk about the temptation of prosperity. Um, think about this. Jesus did not come into this world to accumulate wealth. He did not come into this world to satisfy his physical hunger. Satan, the enemy, was daring Jesus to rely on his own abilities instead of trusting God. He attacks us at this same point. I mean, I truly believe this goes to the very root of all temptations. I mean, Satan will use our normal human desires. Desire for food. A desire for acceptance a desire for sexual fulfillment to convince us that we need to fulfill those desires ourselves because he would say that God doesn't really care about them. He's trying to convince us that God is really out of touch with our desires. And because every human being longs to be known and, and loved as we truly are, the good and the bad, the, the, the beautiful and the ugly, the, the highs and the lows, all of it. To be unconditionally loved in a conditional world. That's what we desire. That's what we want. This is why a relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. The very foundation of the Christian faith is that our creator God sent his son to die for me. 
The creator God who made us, who, who breathed in us the breath of life, who gave us life, sent his son to die for me without conditions. In my ugliest time, in my ugliest moments, when I was still dead in my sin. Because he loved me. Because he loved me unconditionally, he sent his son to die. See, the gospel not only hinges on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the church's ability, the church's ability to authentically, sincerely, and genuinely share that hope through broken and messed up people. I mean, we don't have it together. Can we admit that, that we don't have it together? That we need Jesus? Because we think we got it all together and that's what we put forth, that's what we put out there. But biblical authenticity requires courage. Not recklessness, it requires balance in grace and truth. Grace and truth about ourselves. Grace and truth about others, and more importantly, grace and truth about who God is and what he has done. See, our attempts to achieve authenticity are experienced and revealed as we walk this path of life. Not when we throw it all in the microwave, you know, of, of personal and cultural opinions as we strive to be real. It's all about what God's word says and what God's word says you are and I am and who he is. See, the opposite, the opposite of authenticity is hypocrisy. It's being a hypocrite. Now, I know that all of us, at one time or another, strike a pose. Mm -hmm. We try to appear differently to others than we really are on the inside. I mean, we try to appear confident when we're scared. We try to appear poised when we're shaken or, or peaceful when we're anxious. We even try to appear happy even though we are grieved. We try to appear healthy when we're sick or enthused when we're bored or, or concerned. Oh, we try to appear concerned when really we're apathetic. We try to appear devout. Oh, yes. Oh, so devout when really we're indifferent. We just don't care. But in spite of the fact that we do all this from time to time, we really don't like it. We really don't like it. We want something different. And we face this temptation in our lives when we're tempted to take shortcuts as well. Because Satan will tell you something like this. He will say, it's okay to pad your resume to get ahead. It's okay to overcharge customers as long as no one will find out. You can enjoy a sexual relationship without the hassle of getting married. You don't have to work hard if other people aren't working hard. 
See, Jesus recognized this for the lie that it is. He came to satisfy the hunger of the starving souls of people with his salvation. So we have this temptation of prosperity, but we also have the temptation of power. Now think about this. Scripture suggests that Satan gave Jesus a mental picture of the inhabited nations of the world, and Jesus did come to establish uh, the authority, his authority, through his Father's hand. But he came to do it through his Father's way and in his Father's time. And all of those things were working together. And, And you see this because his Father's way involved a cross, that Jesus would hang on a cross and die. And what Satan wanted to do is he wanted to give Jesus a crown without the cross. But that's not the Father's way. See, Jesus knew what God said we should, that we should not try to force his hand. And he knew that God had created the world with certain rules. You know, certain rules that that we understand. For example, if you jump off a tall building, you will fall. There are certain rules and laws that play into that God has built into the system. You see, ignoring those rules and then asking God to save us from the effects is putting God to the test. Now, this makes sense to us in the context of jumping off a building. Because, here's the problem. We do the same thing all the time. God tells us certain things have certain effects. And then we ask him to prevent those effects from happening. Let me give you some examples. We test God... We test God when we ask him to give us health while simultaneously overeating, failing to exercise, and doing other things that are detrimental to our health. We're testing God. If I eat all of this junk food, then can you make sure I don't have diabetes? Stop testing God. Eat what you're supposed to eat. Do what's right. You see, this is so important because we test God when we ask him to protect our children and help them grow up to follow him while simultaneously neglecting to raise our children to put God first in their lives. We test God when we ask him to answer our questions about him or or about our lives in general while we neglect studying his word where he tells us where he stands on these issues. It's like we don't want to hear it. We test God when we ask him to keep us from sinful thoughts and attitudes and behaviors while simultaneously filling our mind with trash that leads us to those things. See, we test God when we ask him to provide for us financially while simultaneously neglecting to be good stewards of what he's already provided for us. See, this is the temptation. 
and we fall short most of the time. The third temptation is the temptation of publicity. See, Jesus was challenged to to put God's promises to the test. And Satan wanted Jesus to, to have to dazzle people in order for them to believe. And you see, the ongoing temptation of the church today is to do something sensational. To do something that is uh, some publicity gimmick instead of the proclamation of the word of God and about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Instead of proclaiming to the world that Jesus Christ came to die for us, we're relying on other things and other gimmicks, if you will. Now, I think this is, this is huge because Jesus would lead people to a salvation experience, but it's by the conviction of their sin. A salvation experience by conviction of their sin and the undying love that he would prove that he gave on the cross. I mean, think about this. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 says, for since the wisdom of For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The wisdom of the world does not lead people to God. Since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Folks, this is his method. It's through the preaching of the gospel. It is by the preaching of the gospel that we understand our sin. It is by the preaching of the gospel that we come to know who Jesus is. It is by the preaching of the gospel, the foolishness of preaching, that people are convicted of their sin and they come and they want to give their heart to Jesus. This is what we are about. This is what we do. It's not something abnormal. This is who we are as a believer in Jesus Christ. We love others. We share the gospel. That's what we do. I love this because Jesus was victorious over these temptations and Satan would come back many, many times, but he never had success with Jesus. And so Jesus Christ is authentically our savior. He's the real deal. He's the one. You know, in in Hebrews four, I go back to that. I read part of that earlier. Verse 16 says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, Jesus stood firm in these temptations And we're studying his experience so that we can do the same thing. So that when we are tempted, we can stand firm just like Jesus did. And we need to trust God enough that we will live the way he tells us to. I'm gonna say that again. We need to trust God enough that we will live the way he tells us to. or accept the consequences of ignoring him. But we can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. 
See, Jesus withstood all three of the temptations that Satan threw at him. And I think there's something important for us to note at this point. While Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And it would be easy for us to assume that because Jesus was also God, that it was easier for him to withstand these temptations. But Jesus did not exercise his power as God. He faced these temptations the same way that we face them, as a frail human being. And so if Jesus stood firm in the face of these temptations, and if like us he was tempted to sin, what can we learn from his experience? What can you learn from the experience that Jesus had with his temptations? I would say this, first we learn that God doesn't always lead us into situations that will be easy. (laughs) Notice it was the spirit that led him into the desert to be tempted. Matthew, Mark, Luke all record this detail and, and Mark even says that Jesus was immediately led into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. And this is significant because it reminds us that just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it's not something God wants us to do. Sometimes we think that, that man, if it's difficult, that must not be what God's plan is. We often buy into that in this idea of American Christianity. We seem to think that if God has called us to something, all of the obstacles will suddenly disappear from our path. And when things get difficult, we think, well, God must not have wanted me to do this after all. Folks, that's not true. That's not true. Some of the most difficult things that God has asked me to do were the things that he put on my heart. He didn't remove all the obstacles. It's in the struggle that we press into him. It's in the struggle of not knowing. It's, not, it's in the struggle of, of doing something amazingly difficult that God meets us and builds within us the metal that we need in our core to stand firm whether we're being tempted in the valley or up on the mountaintop. See, when we face obstacles, struggles, sometimes, sometimes it's because we've ignored God or maybe moved from his path. But that's not the only reason obstacles pop up. I mean, when we face difficult times, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is this because of my own disobedience? Or is this because God is trying to teach me something else? Is God allowing this for for some other reason? And sometimes, sometimes trials are just part of the job of being a Christian. Jesus said they hated me, they're gonna hate you. We also need to be reminded of this, that Satan likes to run the same plays over and over. He hasn't come up with a new scheme yet, okay? As we read the account of Jesus' temptation, we should be reminded that he faced the same kinds of issues that we face today. Jesus was tempted in every way 
just like we are. And yet he was without sin. See, this fact, (laughs) this fact should be exciting to us. This should be like, oh yeah, bring it on. You know why? Because we can come to Jesus for help when we face struggles. He's been there, he's done that. You know, whenever we face a difficult situation or or maybe a decision, we usually seek out someone else who's been through it too. I mean, we seek the advice of someone else maybe who's, who's lost their job or, or maybe who's been through a divorce or um, maybe made a similar purchase that, that you're planning on making or, or maybe they've been on vacation to the place where you are going, okay? Whatever that, that, that situation is, we seek the advice of other people. Why do we do that? Why do we ask them? Because their experience can help us. I mean, they can tell us places they went. They can, they can tell us about the things they did. They can, they can tell us what worked well and, and what didn't work well. So it seems like a no-brainer when we face temptation that we ought to ask Jesus' help. We ought to ask him to help us. See, we can draw from his experience and apply it to ours. I would also say this, that the key to victory is not so much just saying no to sin as it is to saying yes to God's way of doing things. I mean, many Christians go through life this way. You know, focused on not messing up. I just don't want to mess up. Focused on not giving in to the temptation. And I think a better course of action is for us to focus on doing what is right. Focus on doing what is right, on on saying yes to God and his wisdom for our lives. You know, my wife, Tracy, uh, she's an exceptional grandmother. I've watched, I've taken notes, I learn. She's an exceptional grandmother and she she doesn't get frustrated with her grandchildren. About the third time around the house I get frustrated, but you know. But if behavior needs to change, if behavior needs to change, her approach is one of redirection, not scolding or, or negative reinforcement. And what I'm saying is we need to implement this strategy in our own lives. When temptation comes, don't focus on not messing up or or not giving in. Redirect. When the temptation comes, redirect, refocus. Focus on doing what is right by saying yes to God and his will and his wisdom in your life. Because if you will focus on that, we need, we need to start by knowing what God wants us to do and then do it. But if we will fix our minds, if we will fix our minds on trying to please God, then we will necessarily avoid sinning. Because we're focused on him. 
He's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. He's going to fill us. He's going to use us. But what happens is, is we're not focused on him and we're focused on everything but him. And then when the temptation comes, we don't know what to do. And what I'm saying is redirect, refocus, focus back on pleasing God, doing what he wants us to do. But I would say this lastly, and I'm almost done here. Remember that an idle mind is a devil's workshop. An idle mind is a devil's workshop. We get into trouble when we begin to fill our time with things that distract us from God. When we spend time aimlessly wandering around the internet, we invite trouble. Because we look at things we shouldn't or we're tempted to buy things that we can't afford. When we spend most of our time with people who have different priorities than God does, we invite trouble because their priorities will start to become our priorities. When we spend all of our free time at home sitting in front of the television, we invite trouble because we absorb the world's values instead of God's. Instead of inviting trouble, I'd challenge you to make time for things that will repel trouble, that will get rid of the trouble. Focus on what God is doing and what he wants you to do. Folks, it's a pretty simple proposition. Stop doing bad and do better. Redirect, refocus. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here and they're going to lead us in a a few more, a couple more songs. And, And folks, this is a time of decision. It's a time of invitation. It's a time for focusing on the Lord. And the key that is that if we want to avoid temptation, if you want to avoid the temptation in your life, then we need to work at drawing close to God. And the operative word here is work. If we don't work at developing our relationship with God, our relationship with him won't be developed. But if we will put in, if we will put in the hard work of developing our relationship with God, if we will put our focus not in just trying to avoid temptation, but instead trying to do what God wants and what pleases him, folks, that will prepare us to stand firm with him, not only on the mountaintop, but also in the the wilderness. Folks, we need, we need to work on our relationship with God. See, today is a great opportunity. We're four weeks into this new year. Many of our resolutions have gone by the wayside. But it's not too late to work on your relationship with God. Say yes to him. Get in a habit of saying yes to God. Fill your time with the things that he cares about. 
And we're going to see an amazing revival take place in this community of faith, in this area. If we, his people, will surrender ourselves to God. Folks, that is authenticity. It's being real with him. Not posting a, not striking a pose, not not doing those kind of things. Just coming and, and just laying it at his feet. See, I believe that we need to do that. That we all need to do that. And you know what? A few of us probably will. A precious few. And the rest of us will get up and we'll walk out of here just like we walked in here. With no difference. No commitment. No deeper fellowship. Just scratching the surface. But folks, what we need is we need believers who are being authentic in their relationship with Jesus Christ every single day. Not there yet, but I'm praying about it. And I want him to do a great work in my life too. What do you say? Let's use this time as it is given to connect with God. Don't just be a spectator. Be a participant. Be with him. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, we know that you call us deeper. Deep calls to deep.